may think, let's move on. But the Lord just has captured me in the appearing of the Son of Man in the seven golden candlesticks. He just captured my heart there. Because the description of Christ there is a, descri- is a reality that we should know as believers. It's not something we should just read on a page. But it's a reality we should know as believers. And the only way we know that reality is by knowing Him, and the only way we know Him is to pursue Him. So on our side, when, if you ask me what I have to do, is pursue the Lord. He's going to do the work in you. He's going to make things real, but what I have to do is pursue Him. If you seek, you know, in the simplicity of the Gospel, if you seek, you shall find. If you ask, you shall receive. If you knock, it shall be opened to you. Now, on the reverse side of that, if I don't seek, probably not going to find. If I don't ask, probably won't receive. If I don't knock, probably won't be open to me. So, so if I look at the gospel that way, if I seek, I find. If I ask, I receive. If I knock, it's open. That's what Jesus said. He said it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, so that's what He said. So, so we, take, we want to take Jesus at His word, right? We want to believe His word is true. Of course we do. So, so if, I, if I begin to seek, He's going to give to me. If I begin to ask, He's going to... I'm going to receive. If, if I knock, He's going to open my heart. He's going to open my mind. He's going to open the Scripture. He's going to open the reality of His presence. He's going to do that. He said He would. So, so what limits it is probably me. Not God. It's probably me. It's probably, am I, am I in a place where I want to seek? Am I in a place where I want to know? Am I in a place where I want to receive? That's probably really it. Uh, Brother Bob was was saying something this morning about Peter, and I thought that was just powerful. That what he denied the Lord three times, and then the Lord three times told him to feed his sheep. I've told this story probably to everybody in here has heard this, but if if, if I tell it to you again, forgive me, but I'm going to. Many years ago, now for me, many years, I was living as a young man living in Northern Virginia. And I was driving to what I call home, or then what I called home, which was down near Richlands, Virginia. And uh, the Lord, I was on the way, I think I was on 66, and the Lord spoke to me out of those very scriptures, and He said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And this just rolled in me, rolled in me. And I was, I was of a mind, uh, and Anita knew this, when she married me, I'd go to church every night. I'd take her somewhere every night if I could. And, I, and there for a long time, I'd drag her out places all the time. We were in service all the time. Just grab her and we'd go. We'd never been there before, but we'd go see what it's about. And I was coming down 66, and I got in my mind uh, of, of going to a service. You know, I'm going home, but I, but I can, I can uh, go to a service. And so I had that in my mind, and... I come down to, uh, got off on 340 and went down into Waynesboro and, and there's a, a sign up. It was Trinity Pentecostal Church. And a sign up said, Holy Ghost Revival. I said, okay, I'm going to go in. <laughs> got out, went in. Young man sat down and I don't know how long I was sitting there. And the pastor was a gentleman named Wilbur Ranch. Never seen Wilbur to my knowledge in my life. He'd never seen me to my knowledge in his, in his life. I don't think we'd ever known each other. And at some point he walked back to me and he handed me the microphone and he said, you have the Word of God. And it was just confirmation of what God was saying in me. He brought great confirmation in my heart that he had called me to minister. And Brother Wilbur uh, would uh, uh, practically every time I go there, maybe every time, but pra- most times I'd stop by his fellowship. I never scheduled, I don't think I ever scheduled, a, uh, that I remember, scheduled a date to preach. But I'd stop in and he'd give me the microphone or have me say something. And 
And it was just the working of the Lord. The Lord was confirming in my heart that He had called me into the ministry. And it's something how God does that because He works with confirmation. He, he doesn't, you, you know, you don't have to blindly move into things. God will confirm it. God will show you your place in the Lord's body. And, and being in ministry has been in, in, in the, just a richness in me that, that I, I don't even know how to express the richness of God to sit and prepare the work. Don't know how to, you know, it's just rich. Maybe that's how I express it. It is rich. I get so much out of this. If you, if you don't, and I pray you do. I don't want it just that I get a lot out of it, but I get a tremendous uh, life and reality and joy preparing, preparing the Word of God. I, I prepare. I prepare to speak. I spend a lot of time in preparation. Sometimes, sometimes I don't spend as much, but most of I spend a lot of time in preparation. Probably could spend a lot more time, but it's it's a blessing to me. Tremendous, tremendous blessing to me. And it's a blessing to me to come and speak to you. This, this I don't take lightly. I, I, it's tremendous uh, to me to get to speak to you in the, in the revelation of the Lord. And, and it's my heart that you, that this Word impacts you. That it's not just a, I went to church. But it's my heart that you get impacted. And, it cha- and you get in the Word. And the Word of God begins to change you because not just the written Word, but the living Word, who is Christ, gets real in you. And through Him getting real in you, there's a dynamic change that begins to happen in your life. That's my heart. That's what I want. I want the change in you. That you've experienced. And you have, have, can even stand up and say, hey, I'm being changed. I'm being transformed. This thing's working. That's my, as a minister, that's my goal. Is Christ to be revealed in you. To be made known. To be real. That's really my goal. That's my heart. So I'm giving you my heart. Well, we've been looking in Revelation chapter 1 like since uh, around, I think this part of the appearing of the Son of Man, I think it was around September last year when we started the appearing of the Son of Man in the book of Revelation chapter 1 since either June or July. But John says in Revelation 1, verse, around verse 10, he turns to see a voice that's speaking to him. And when he turns, he sees the voice. He doesn't see himself. He sees the voice. He sees the church. And in the midst of the church, he sees one like the Son of Man. Now, some people say, well, that, who is that Son of Man? Well, Jesus identified himself as the Son of Man all the way through the Gospel. So John sees one like the Son of Man in seven golden candlesticks who we come to find out are the seven churches of Asia. That, so he sees Christ and he sees Him in a very particular way. <laughs> and I love this. I turned to see the voice spake with me, verse 12, and having turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto a son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the breast with a golden girdle. And if you want to hear that, because I'd like to go back and preach on that garment again. But there are several teachings on the garment out on the podcast. And I suggest you go listen to them. See what God says in you. And if you don't, if you don't know how to get them on a podcast, we've got all these to where we can put them on CD, correct, Dave? Yeah. We'll put them on CD. Any way you want. 
But I, but I highly recommend this morning to get in this, to listen to it, not because I'm saying it, but hear what the Lord says to you. And His head, and this is where we're going to be at for probably some time, His head and His hair were white as wool. White as snow. And His eyes as a flame of fire. Man, that's some kind of eyes right there. And His feet like in the burnished brass as if it had been refined in a furnace. And His voice is the voice of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth proceeded a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as one dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one, and am alive. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades, or death and hell. Write therefore the things which thou sawest, and the things which are, and the things which shall come to pass hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So he tells you the seven Stars are seven angels. Seven candlesticks are seven churches. What it says. Now, and John sees in the churches one like the Son of Man. But he sees him in a very, very particular way. And it's this seeing Christ in this way that the Lord has just captivated my heart. Because when I, when I begin this study, I went, okay, what do these eyes of fire mean? You know, I, I had seen glimpses of the feet of brass down through the years. But the Lord began to gather up this in me greater than I've ever seen as I've been in this study. And just continually... Is working it. Not just just a working, a working of the cross. And and that's that's what I, I, I see such a beauty in the cross, such a power in the cross. If I could take it and just push put it in people, I walk up to them and I go, Whoom. I see such a power in the death of Christ. That that it's Amazing me. It's like, like we sing songs of amazing grace. I mean, this thing's getting amazing in me. Because there's a reality of that death that God is working in my heart. And that, that is powerful because I've seen it in a, in a greater reality than I've ever seen before. And my heart's desire is what I said is that you see that. So we come to eyes as a flame of fire. What in the world does it mean he had eyes as a flame of fire? Does that mean Jesus now has eyes when you see him physically? That right here are just fire. So John said, his eyes are fire. Could mean that. But I think when he gave you an idea that the candlesticks are churches and the stars are angels or ministers of the churches, then that all these things are symbolic and represent something. And I think there's a working, it's like the Lord worked something in me a few weeks ago, and, and, uh, and I saw this in Romans 6, that there were three words for know and knowing there, three different words. That they all three weren't the same word. And one of them was like information. When Paul said, don't you know, you've been baptized into his death, he's saying this is information. 
And then another word was like an intimate knowing, the same word that Mary said, uh, I haven't known a man. And that's a very intimate knowing. And then the other word was a perception. I, I have understood and I perceive this knowing. And I saw that these three words had three different meanings and probably have three different operations in their meanings in our hearts. So the first thing we gather up is information. And we begin to see by information that Christ, that John sees Christ in the church. Why? Because the Word says He did. That's why. That's the information piece. The Word said it. So I say this is the Word of God. What said? Christ was in the church. Right? Now we come to an intimate reality of Christ in the church. And in this intimate reality, one of the characteristics of Christ in the church, because I, I not only believe it was in the seven churches of that day, I believe it's in all the churches now. It's in the church. He has eyes as a flame of fire. So, as I look at these eyes as a flame of fire, go to Revelation 1, you're already in 1, go to verse 4. <coughs> and, I, and I wrote a question there, I said, where do we find these eyes that are fire? Where do we find them? Notice where I'm going to take you to, the Scripture. Okay? So Scripture, I believe, interprets Scripture. So, John, verse 4, of Revelation 1, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, say that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and was and who is to come, and the seven spirits that are before His throne. So we find seven spirits before the throne. Now turn with me to, I believe I want chapter 4, chapter 4 or 5. Chapter 4 or 5. And in chapter 4, verse 5, and this is after John saw the open door in heaven and the voice spake to him as a trumpet. And some of that voice was as a trumpet. And it caught John up into the heavenly place. Caught him right up into the heavenly realm. And he says, And out of the throne proceeds lightnings and voices, and thunders. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are, what? Seven spirits of God. Now, I want to ask you something. Are there seven spirits of God? Just, just think, about, think with me. Now turn to chapter 5. Calvin's answering it right away. I like that, Calvin. Amen. And so, when I go to chapter 5, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, is verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders. Now, he's in the midst of all of them. Notice this. He's not just in the midst of the throne. He's in the midst of the four beasts. He's in the midst of the elders. Stood a lamb as it had been slain. Having what? Seven horns. Now, if I see a lamb in the doorway with seven horns, I'm going to go, uh-oh. And seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So this Lamb has the seven spirits of God that are sent forth in all the earth. Think, think logically for me, for me for a moment. How do you have, if I sent Bob into all the earth, how would I have Bob?
But how would I have him? He's, he's over in uh, Cambodia. I'd have to be attached to Bob. So this lamb is attached to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is attached to the lamb. Can we believe that? Sure we can. Anyway, so he has seven, seven horns and seven eyes. And the number seven is, is, is quite the number because on the seventh day, God did what? God rested. And, and, and through the law of Moses, what did He command on the seventh day? That man should rest from his labor. <clears throat> so He gave a Sabbath day rest to man. Right? And that Sabbath day rest was speaking of this lamb that had the seven horns and the seven eyes. Because you find the seven now in the lamb. You don't find the rest of God in Saturday anymore or Sunday. You can't find it. You know, people have tried to do that. Well, I'm going to make Saturday or Sunday my Sabbath. Saturday, is, we will admit actually, from my understanding, Saturday was the real Sabbath day. But the rest of God, Jesus, Jesus gave it away. He said, come unto me, all you that labor, all you that are working. Take my yoke upon you. Get yoked up with me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find what? Rest. rest. You go out of here and try to find rest everywhere else. But you only go find rest in Christ. So this seven, this number seven is speaking of complete. On the seventh day, God finished the work He had done and rested from His labors. So that's what the number seven, seven spirits, the completion the fullness, the end. That was the last day of creation. The end of creation was the seventh day. The end. The end is a hand, the seventh day. <clears throat> That's what the number seven deals with. Fullness, completion, end, finality. All, and what does Paul write of Christ? He says, you are complete, finished in Him, or you come to the end in Him, the completion. Your completion is in Him. And you are complete in Him, and in Him dwelleth part of God. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, when I used to preach that, and I used to preach it this way, that when Jesus walked on earth, and I'm not saying this is wrong, because it may be, be exactly right. But I used to preach it this way. When Jesus walked on the earth, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in Him. Now I'm seeing another picture. not saying that picture is wrong, but I'm seeing another picture. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ye are the body of Christ. In his church. Because Paul writes to, in Ephesians, he says that all the fullness, the fullness of him that fills all, what all is he filling? All. All that he is in all the members of his body. Amen. So he's all fullness, all fullness of God's in him. And he's filling up. All the members of the body of Christ with Himself through the revelation of the Son of God. That's how He does. Now, I could be done. Just say we're done. But I'm not. 
So, so that number seven is very, very powerful. So, so God is saying something by saying seven spirits of God. Uh, you, you know, Paul says there's but one spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. So which one's right and which one's wrong? Is John right? Is Paul right? Are there seven spirits? Or is there one? I believe there's just one spirit, but, but in, 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 it, he's in fullness here, in completion. Because God finished the work in Christ. So when we come to see the one in the church, we come to a finished work. And see, that, that, that's what we've got to see, a finished work. It is finished, Jesus cried at the cross. I have completed the work that Thou givest me do. And now, O Father, glorify me with Thine own self, with all the fullness of God, with the glory that I have with Thee before the world was. Why? Why do you, why do you say that? That I might be glorified. Read the rest of it. That I might be glorified where at? In them. In them. That the glory You've given me I've given them. I and them, thou and me, that they may be perfect in one. That's what he says in John 17, does he not? <clears throat> He's going to be glorified in you. And I see this picture so vividly in the Old, Old Testament temple, the picture of it, of God coming and His glory filling the house. His glory filling the temple. His glory filling the tabernacle. And they call it the glory of the Lord. And then the Apostle Paul says, you're the temple. So the place of where God's glory is filling is no longer a temple in the Middle East, but now it's a people that are built upon the foundation rock that God laid in Zion, who is Jesus Christ Himself, to be filled with all fullness of God. That's God's purpose. And I just said, I go, hallelujah, just fill me, Lord. Like, like I want to say, just bring it off, Father. I want it. I love it. Glory to God. Because it's good. Amen. You know, salvation is really good. But we come to this, this, these eyes of fire, and, and I believe uh, Malachi has, gives us some insight. Malachi 3. And I believe I'm in this, what's called the, some kind of uh, contemporary English version of what I believe it is that I put on the notes. I've got a whole bunch of versions of the Bible in my computer. And I kind of liked how it read, so I put it there. I, the Lord, all-powerful. Verse 1. Now this is, like I said, the, I think it's called the contemporary English version. I, the Lord, all-powerful will send my messenger to prepare the way for me. I believe that was John the Baptist. Then suddenly the Lord you are looking for will appear in His temple. You are the temple of God. The messenger you desire is coming with my promise, and he is on his way. On the day the Lord comes, he will be like a furnace that purifies silver or like strong soap in a wash basin. No one will be able to stand up to Him. The Lord will purify the descendants of Levi as though they were gold or silver. Then they will bring the proper offering to the Lord. So who's going to purify the descendants of Levi? It's the Lord. And I was reading around on the Internet. I, I do that a lot as I'm studying. And I found this thing this lady wrote. And this guy had it in his, uh, in his page, and, and I was quite impressed with it, with it. So I gave it to you. Well, I've got to get back into the right document on my computer. Refining Silver where some ladies met, and I won't read the whole thing, but they 
went into the scriptures, reading here in Malachi. And a lady went and sat down with the silversmith, and, and, he, and she asked her, look in the second paragraph, she said, but sir, she said, do you just sit while the work of refining is going on? He said, oh, yes, madam, replied the silversmith. I must sit with my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace. For if the time necessary for refining be exceeded in the slightest degree, the silver will be injured. The lady at once saw the beauty and comfort, too, of the expression, He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Christ sees it needful to put His children into a furnace. His eye is steadily intent on the work of purifying and his wisdom and love are both engaged in the best manner for them. The trials do not come at random. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. As the lady was leaving this shop, the silversmith called her back and said he had forgotten to mention that the only way that he knows when the process of purifying is complete, listen to this, this is powerful, is, is complete when he sees his own image reflected in the silver. I read that. Oh, well, my Lord. So the Lord shall come as a refiner's fire. He ain't after the best of you. See, this is what religion taught us, Abby. God's after your best. Nope, He ain't. He's after His own image. He's after better than you could ever get. That's why He's filling you with the fullness of Himself. Man, that, that to me makes me... The old saying I used to get is I want to jump through my skin. That makes me just inside... Just, just exuberant. He's after himself. So the eyes of his purification, when we see through the eyes of Jesus, we don't just see ourselves made better. See, that's, that's what religion has taught us, is that Christianity is me and you being better. Christianity is Christ's form in you. Yeah, you're better all right. But it ain't your best that He's after. He's after His best. It's a transformation of your life. It's God in you. It's not you being God, it's God in you. See, people start seeing glimpses of this. They'll run off and say, well, in the beginning I was God, or I was with God. <coughs> and almost every time I hear that, I almost want to grab them and say, really? Since you were, why don't you, and you realize what you were, why don't you go demonstrate that for me? Maybe I'll say that to the next one who says that to me. It's Him, His best, His life. And when I see His life, I go, my Lord, how great this is. This is greater than I ever was. And the glory is, He has joined me to Himself to be made known and to be manifest in little of me. What and who He is. Now that's salvation. Christ in you. And that's the image He's after. That's why He comes as a purifier. That's why His eyes are as fire. Because in His sight, you're seeing a new man. You're coming to see a new creation. And it's purifying your mind, your soul, from the old soulless nature to the heavenly man who is Christ. And it's a whole nother seeing. 
And it is glorious. In Zechariah 13. I'm going to try to watch the time. Zechariah 13. I may read this and have to skip a couple things. Awake, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith Jehovah of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith Jehovah, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part into the fire. Glory to God. He shall do what? Baptize you with what? I'll bring the third part into the fire. What, what did Brother John say? You put Malachi and Zechariah together for a moment. I'm going to send my messenger before my face. Which was John. And Jesus said it was John. The voice of one calling in the wilderness. He shall prepare my way. What, what, is, what does John say of Jesus when Jesus comes down to be baptized of John? John says, I need to be baptized of you, Jesus. Why are you coming to be baptized of me? Jesus said that I might fulfill all righteousness. Why do you have to fulfill all righteousness? He had to come under God's Word. He had to come and submit Himself to the messenger of the covenant. John was the messenger of the covenant, and Jesus had to submit to Him. Because He had to fulfill the Word of God. He had to do the Word of God. And so He submits to Him and is baptized, and John is there saying, I need to be baptized with you because you're going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. And we've we all, we all, Holy Ghost people, we've all... Talks about the Holy Ghost, and I love being baptized in the Holy Ghost. But he says, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And his fan is in his hand, and he's going to thoroughly purge his floor. Hey, floor. He's going to gather his wheat, hey, wheat, into the garner, and he's going to get rid of that other seed. That chaff. That old man. He's going to burn that up. That's going to be consumed. But that wheat's going to be gathered into his garner to come forth in his life. So, so what's this fire? Holy Ghost and fire. What is this? This furnace of affliction. Well... We've been 38 minutes, but I'm going to talk to you a couple more. When I, when I looked at this, I wrote a note down here somewhere. The trying of your faith is more than just not sinning because you have faith in God. And that's not saying that ain't part of it. Okay? I'm just saying there's more to it. And it is more than just the earthly trials that we have. I'm not saying again that ain't part of it, but I'm saying there's more to it. I do not want to discount the earthly trials as they may serve to bring us into the trine of our faith. But we are baptized into the baptism He is baptized with. We shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The trying of our faith brings forth the image, of, the image God is after. He is after Christ in you, like the husbandman is after the precious fruit of the field or of the seed that comes forth in the field as in the book of James. So, Peter speaks of this trying of your faith is more precious than gold. And Jesus says, and, and Brother Lynn uh, ministered out of this uh, a couple weeks ago, that by of me gold tried in the fire. And when Jesus comes, remember the story with uh, John and James, and it's there in the notes. 
where John and James comes to Jesus, and what they say, they said, Jesus, we want one of us to sit on your right hand, and one of us to sit, now I did the wrong hand, this is my left hand. One of us to sit on your right hand, and one of us to sit on your left hand. You got help me, Calvin. And, and what they do, they begin to look at them, wanting to rebuke them. Right? And Jesus tells them, says, the cup of blessing that I bless you will drink of that. And the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be also. Now, he's already baptized in the Jordan when he said that. So he wasn't talking about being baptized in the Jordan. He's talking about the baptism of fire. Because the fire that burns is his death, burial, and resurrection. See, the trial of your faith is when God brings you into view of the death of the cross. See, because your faith is in Christ. See, this, this, just a second on faith, and we may have to stop here and pick this up and go through some of this again next week, because, you know, to me, this is real good. To me. What the Lord has said in me. The, your faith, let, let, let's, let's talk about faith for a minute. We have this concept of faith that if I... Here's one concept of faith that's out here. If I believe in something hard enough, God's going to give it to me. It's a concept of faith that's out here. If I, I, I need a new car, if I believe God, He's going to give me a new car. Not saying he won't. But that's a concept of faith. That I come to God and I believe Him for stuff. Now, Abraham had faith in God. And we know of Abraham in the Bible as the father of faith. Okay? So he was the father of faith, and when Abraham had faith in God, his faith was towards something that was coming. Right? So his faith, one part of Abraham's faith, was Abraham was going to get a son. And one thing with Abraham, instead of waiting on that son to come, because God had told him he was going to give him a son, Abraham said, I'm going to, you know, God told me to have the son. The first thing he did, he said, this Eliezer, must be what he's talking about. He reasoned in his own mind. This was what God was talking about. And so he sets up this Eliezer. And to me, that's speaking of your own mind. And, and God, what does God do? God says to Abraham, this ain't it. Abraham. So, oh, Abraham goes back to the drawing board. Right? And some time passes, and, they, and he and Sarah still can't have a son, so Sarah reasons in herself. And says, hey, I've got a handmaid here. You take her, Abraham, and have a child. This is going to be your seed. This is the promise of God. And Abraham does that. He does his own work. And he brings forth Ishmael. He and Sarah, bring, they're the handmaid, bring forth Ishmael. And here comes the Lord. And he says, Hey, Abraham, that ain't my son. That ain't the promise. Because I'm going to come and I'm going to bring forth Isaac and he's the promise. Mm -hmm. Now Abraham was believing God, but he tried to work it himself. I think that's a picture even for us. We, we even hear the Word of God sometimes and then we have our own thought of what the Word of God says. doesn't mean we're sinner. doesn't mean we're lost because Abraham was the father of faith. We didn't wait upon the Lord. So, <clears throat> that faith was far off. So Abraham was hoping for a son, then he was hoping for a city that had foundations. Looking for a city to have foundations whose builder maker was God. Now that's the faith of Abraham. Now is that your faith? Is that the trial of your faith? Because we've got to get back to Peter. The trial of your faith. How did, how did Peter 
write that. I think I got it here. I think I do anyway. That the proof of your faith, or the trial of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is proved by fire, may be found into praise and glory and honor at, at what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The trial of your faith is in what Christ has done. Your faith isn't in something that's far off. Your faith is now in the work of Christ. Let me give you an example. When someone is born again, they're born again through what's already happened. Right? They're born again through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the faith that we come into, the faith of the Son of God, is what He has done. And that's an ongoing revealing of Christ. So the trial of our faith is in what Christ has done. So God begins to try, if I could say that, or or we get tried. I don't know if God does it because it says God tries no man. But but we are tried through what God has done in Christ. The trial of our faith, the fire, is in what God has done in Christ. The cross. The cross. So you're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. And what does Paul write? We are baptized into what? His death. So so what begins to happen in us as as Christ begins to be revealed in us, what takes place? We begin to be aware that when He died, what happened? You died with Him. You become aware of that. Why is that important? Because that's what releases you from the elements of the earth. Nothing else is going to release you but His death. I'm telling you, that His death is glorious. Coming to an understanding that when He died, you died with Him is glorious. Because that releases me from out under the elements that's in the earth. What do I mean the elements? I mean the law. I mean sin. I mean carnality. I mean the world. Paul says, I am crucified to what? The world. The cosmos. The arrangement. And the world is crucified to me. That begins to try my faith. That begins to try me. (coughs) And that's glorious. Because it's going to release you into what He's done. What has He done? He's made you a son of God. Does he say, because you are sinners, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts? No, he says, because you are what? Sons. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. But, but then we say, well, I don't feel like son of God. Has anybody ever not felt like a son of God besides me? Doesn't mean it ain't true. But see, what's going on is now He is taking His Word and His work and He's ministered into your heart. To where this isn't just written on a page, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. That's information. And that's good information and you should know that. That when He died, you died. But the reality of that has to come in your heart.
Because their faith is in the Son of God. Their faith isn't in things. Their faith is found in the Son of God. And in the Son of God, you died with Him. Did you not? So that Word is going to continually rise up, if I could say it this way, and cry our heart, because we died with Him. Because that's what He did. Two, we come to the revelation of Jesus Christ. You say, give me an example of that. It's what he did with Abraham. Abraham would kind of wander away and the Lord would bring him back and say, lift up now thine eyes, Abraham. Lift up thine eyes to the promise I've given you, to the seed that I've promised you. Go back there and look. Abraham would stray, kind of stray away, do his own thing, walk, walk around, you know, tell the king, this isn't my wife. All, all the things Abraham did and what God bring him back to. Look up, lift up your eyes. He brought him back to the same vision. He brought him back to the same place. He brought him back to the same understanding. And that's, and that's what this Word does when, when, it, when it begins to be made alive enough. It brings us, you're dead, your life is simple Christ to God. You're dead, your life is simple Christ to God. I run around out here and I say, well, I'm not dead. You're dead, your life is simple Christ in God. When Christ who is your life shall appear, well, if Christ is my life, would my life be separate from me? Because the idea of that Scripture, when Christ is my life shall appear, then someday out there in the future I'm going to appear and go up. When Christ, who is my life, in that same book, Paul wrote in that very same book of Colossians, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And then it comes on down in the book, he says, when Christ, is, who is your life, shall appear. Now where did he tell you Christ was? In you. When He shall appear, then you will appear with Him in glory. Why do you keep stressing your dead to realize that all these elements of the world cannot stop this Christ from appearing? He said, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and death. I have authority over them, Jesus says. You're not subject to them. You're subject to me, He's saying. Man, that in my heart, realizing that, I'm subject to Christ. I'm subject to His work. That has been one of the most powerful understandings God's ever worked in my because I battled for years. And I'll turn this off here, but I ain't done. And you all that know me know I'll probably got 